would like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. We'll read something briefly. We're going to spend most of our time in 2 Timothy, but we're going to start in Romans 1, and I want to read you a very common yet powerful verse. I say common in the, in, in the sense that it's used a lot. I don't say common in the sense that it's, that it's um, not holier or that it's low. I think this is something very valuable. It's one of, my, one of our favorite uh, verses in the whole Bible, if you have favorites. It says this in verse, let me see. Verse 14, chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says, I am under obligation. Now, when you're under obligation, do you have a choice? No. That's an easy one, right? Some of you have been so, so abused by guest speakers tricking you with trick questions. You should know by now I'm not one of those people. <laughs> Where they give you that trick question and go, what's the, what's the greatest fruit of the Spirit? And you say, oh, I think I read it was love. No, it's wrong. It, they're all great. And you're like, well, that wasn't fair. That was a trick. Well, I, I won't do that to you. So let's just say obligation means you don't have a choice, right? I'm under obligation both to Greeks and, Lord help us, to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I'm under obligation to them. And he says in verse 15, So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And he lets them decide which of those camps they fall into. <laughs> he says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, you may say that's an obvious point. Of course you're not ashamed of the gospel. But I believe if he had to say it, it was something that was, in, was under contention. It was something that was being fought for. If he had to say, I'm not ashamed, I'm assuming some people were ashamed of the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And that's, that's the great call out to all of you. He says, it's the power of God to salvation, not for everyone, but to everyone who believes. That's your qualification. If you can believe it, you can receive this. And he says this to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This statement, and of course he goes on to say, for it's in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man, but the righteous man will live by faith. So there's this great statement, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You think about what ashamed means, once again, not a trick question, what does ashamed mean? It means that you have shame about something. What's the first thing that humanity was ashamed about? Very first thing. Their own nakedness, right? The first thing that happened when they were in the presence of God was that they were ashamed at their nakedness, which they weren't always naked. I mean, you may say they didn't, they didn't wear animal fur. They didn't wear those little leaves around. Before they sinned, as, as much as the picture Bible may present it in one way, as much as your little children's storybook had to make it in one way, before they sinned, they didn't have to wear a thing. And the Bible implies that they were clothed with the, with the glory of God, that there was no shame. But the moment they sinned, the moment they were separated from God, shame came. And the shame wasn't ashamed of Him. The shame was their own fault, their own lack, their 
own issues. In the Old Testament, God speaks through His prophets to a rebellious people. You know, it's one thing when they sinned in ignorance. We've all done that. We've all sinned in ignorance where we didn't know any better and we did the wrong thing. But He speaks to a rebellious nation that knew better, that looked Him in the eye and did the wrong thing. You know, when your kid does something that they shouldn't do, there's a time of teaching, right? And you, and you, you say, oh, no, we don't do that. And, and you, you, the, your first conversation with them about it, you don't snap at them the first time they do something wrong because they didn't know any better. What you do is you gently show them, no, you correct them. You show them the right way. But there's a difference between that kid doing that and that kid looking you in the eye. Have you ever had that moment where that kid looks you in the eye and they know, and there's that you see it in their head, like, I, I'm going to do this. And you can't do anything because we're in public. And they look you in the eye, and they do what they know they shouldn't do. Uh-oh. And when that happens, that's rebellion. <laughs> My friend Jake, you guys know Jake. Jake's preached this. David McGrew's preached this, so I know it's okay to tell you this. Jake, his father's David McGrew. Jake uh, was being kind of mouthy to his mother. As a teenager, don't worry, it's not, not anymore. He's all grown up and nice now. But he, he had a, a moment of rebellion where he was being kind of disrespectful to his mother, and his father warned him. He said, no. he said, Jake, you better stop that right now. And he just kept doing it. And so as Jake was telling me this last trip out there, um, and in fact, he, I think he told everybody at, 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 in Ontario, um, his father made him scrub an oil patch off the driveway with a toothbrush after that. He learned his lesson, and it wasn't that warm outside, and he was out there with a the toothbrush scrubbing that oil. Well, there was, there was a reason for that. He had been warned, and then he knew better and completely just rebelled and did it anyways, and, and that's a bad thing. And as God spoke to a rebellious people that knew better, looked him in the eye and did the wrong thing, he said, why are you not ashamed? He said this more than once. Like it was a bad thing they didn't have some shame. You see, and you have to understand this, Jesus became our sacrifice, took our sin, paid the price. Once you've received that free gift of forgiveness once you've been washed in the blood it is wrong for you to still feel guilt and shame for something that is under his blood it's wrong for you to feel shame about that because what you're doing is trying to be self-righteous instead of letting him be your righteousness it's wrong to feel and let that guilt and shame clog up your life and clog up your spiritual arteries but it is also wrong for somebody to look God in the eye and be doing something they know not to do and feel no shame about it. You see, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 7 that there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance without regret, no more sorrow. Repent, no more sorrow. No more shame, no more guilt. But there should be a shame attached with the things of, uh, that, that, that are from hell that are not good. The Bible says... We've renounced the things hidden because of shame. 
We've renounced those shameful things. So there are things, shame is meant to be attached to sin. And the reason you're not meant to walk in shame is because you're meant to walk free from sin, under the blood of Jesus, free from the penalty, free from the guilt, free from the price of it. And yet when the Old Testament, he says, why are you not ashamed? You're doing this and there is no shame. Of course, his desire for you, if you recall in the book of Revelation. He looks at a church that thinks they've got it all together. And he says, here's the issue. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He says, here's the deal. You think you're rich, but you're not. He says, you think you've got beautiful clothes, but you're naked. You think you can see, but you're blind. What's his response? Does he say, just sit there for a while and, and think about that? Does he say, sit in your shame? Does it say, sit in your nakedness? No, he says, come to me and buy gold refined by fire so that you won't be, you won't be destitute, you won't be poor. You'll have my riches. He says, come to me and I will clothe you. I will give you a garment of white. Listen to this. So that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. You see, God, his, his desire for you is to rid you of that shame that's attached to sin. And yet, the world has twisted it and placed shame on those who would preach the gospel. Would put shame on you for doing the right thing. The Bible talks about this in one instance. It says that you, it, it talks about the people you used to run with. In fact, that's the word in the New American The people you used to run with. And it says, it says the, they're, they're, they see what, that your life has changed. They see that your life is different. And they're ashamed and they're convicted by your lifestyle and it says they malign you for it because you won't run into the same excesses that they did. They hate you for it. They, they don't like the fact that your light is revealing some darkness. And that's tough. Isn't it twisted that shame was never meant to be a thing that had anything to do with God? Shame was a result of sin. And so isn't it twisted that someone would be ashamed of him? Isn't that weird? That shame, shame is a result of our inadequacies. And yet someone would be ashamed of the one who's perfect? Someone would be ashamed of the creator of all things good and life and love? The world has got some things upside down. And you have got to reject that spirit of shame that comes on you for doing the right thing. Peter talks about this at great length. If you read the last half of the New Testament, you'll see examples of people that are having a rough time with the world. Because in the last half of the New Testament, especially all through the New Testament, starts in the book of Acts, but especially in the last half of the New Testament, there's a lot of talk about the persecuted church because the church was being persecuted. And as much as we might think that we're being heavily persecuted, I'm sorry, we're not. Oh, yeah, the a comedian made a joke about you on Just for Laughs. Oh, that's, that's tough. But you know what they had to go through? <laughs> These guys were tortured and put to death. You're not dealing with a whole lot of hard stuff. And I don't say that to make you feel bad. I say that to say, cheer up. You can handle a lot more than this. Right, right, right. You're saying, that doesn't cheer me up. 
Okay, let's try this. So in all these things, the church was being greatly persecuted. And Peter says, he says, it does, it's, it's not anything to be proud of if you're being persecuted for doing something bad. As you do something bad and you go, oh, I'm being persecuted, yeah, you don't have any reason to boast because you deserve that. You ever have that kid at school that just thought as, as long as he was that far away, he could say something stupid to the older kids in junior high? He's in elementary school and he looks at those eighth graders. As long as he's far enough away and close enough to the school bus, he just yells and, and, and says all this nasty stuff and just, you know, thinks he's just a big man on campus because he can, he can talk bad to them. And then there's that one day where he gets caught over by the, the snowplow pile of snow and there's no teachers around and uh, he gets a little bit of a whooping <laughs> and you're not happy about that because you know that's wrong too, but at the same time you're like, what do you think was going to happen, right? <laughs> and Peter says, why are you so proud of yourselves when you do something wrong and you get hurt for it? But he says, here's what, here's, if you're, if you're being persecuted for doing the right thing, you can boast because Jesus had to do the same thing. And I'm going to tell you something, you will, you will be slandered and persecuted for doing something good from time to time. We want, I mean, I, I know, you know what? God is love. The gospel is good. We would think that the world would love this. But you know what? The enemy doesn't play fair. He's not using the truth as his weapon. He's, he's twisting it. And so, come on, guys. Get, get used to the fact that, yeah, maybe somebody might not like you. Maybe somebody might treat you badly, but you just... Put your head up high because you're being identified with Jesus. Now here, you're going to have a choice. In those moments, we all have that choice. Am I ashamed of Him? Or do I join with Him and let them be ashamed of me? And That's not always easy. And I want to talk to you about that this morning because I don't want to just beat you into submission and say, you just buck up, just chin up, chest out, just do the right thing. Because I realize that in your own strength, that would be very hard. But you don't have to do anything in your own strength. God's anointed you for this. And, and I'm going to tell you, love is stronger than hate. And, and light is stronger than darkness. And the devil, as much as he'd love to be, I'd love to be the, the opposite of God, he's not. He can never be as evil as God is good. So in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. School is tough. It's not tough because you have to learn. Most of us like learning. It's tough because you're forced into a social situation where there's a great bit of competition to be at the top and there's a great bit of ridicule if you're not. I've known a lot of people that came out of their shell when they got in college and they finally were free to be themselves. And they turned out to be pretty cool people. But in high school, were so repressed because you know what? They did something stupid in fifth grade and they were still stuck in that group of people all the way up to high school. And they were kept in that role. And some of them have had to bear, I mean, I, I went to school, I was one of them, you know, who, who bore the name of Jesus proudly, and yet were maligned for it, yet were, were not looked on as that was a good thing, that was, that was uh, a negative in your social status. And I, even though I tell you about 
you know, the, well, the early church was persecuted, and the early church was put to death. When you're a teenager, that's not much comfort to you. And you just say, well, that's, the, all right, okay, that's fine, you know, that's them, but this is me, don't you see what's going on? What Peter says, whether it's a mild persecution or a heavy persecution, he says, take cheer. Jesus didn't do a thing wrong, and yet they hated him. Culture will tell us that when society judges you to be wrong, you are wrong. Culture tells us that once the media turns against you, you must be wrong. Once popular opinion turns against you, you must be wrong. This is the thing that we get in democracy. You know what? Democracy is not a perfect system at all. It's the best thing we got going for us, but it's not perfect. You know why? Because the mob is rarely right. Come on, guys, look at history. Is the mob really ever the good guys? No. But yet we've been raised with this idea that the majority, if it's the majority, it's the right thing to do. It's not the right thing just because it's the majority, guys. Get used to the fact that the Bible, like in these last half of the New Testament that I've been talking about, he starts using terms like aliens, strangers, peculiar people. Oh, come on, especially if you're young. Please don't call me those things. You don't want to be known as an alien, a stranger, peculiar. Who wants to be peculiar? I do. Because here's the deal. You've got to decide whose homeland you're identifying with. You've got to decide who your role model is. And if my role model is Jesus, he was that guy that never really fit in but changed the world. My role models are those people of faith. I mean, you read Hebrews 11. God didn't talk about nations. He talked about individuals. Because most of the time, the nation was wrong, and it took an individual to change the nation. It took an individual to change the course of history. If there had been no Noah, there would be no ark. If there had been no Abraham, Lot would have died. There wouldn't have been this great nation, it would have been Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all of that. Now you say, can't God do whatever He wants? Yes, He can, but He chooses to use people. He chooses to use individuals. And maybe you read Hebrews 11 and just think, all of these people that did these things, and you think, well, I'm glad God picked them. And maybe we just imagine that God snatched these people and just kind of, you know, took them by the top of the head and dropped them in history and said, okay, now do what I'm telling you to do. And they didn't know what they were doing, but they were being controlled by something and they didn't know what they were saying, but somebody had their tongue and they just went and, 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 and woke up one day saying, what happened over the last 50 years? <laughs> I seem to remember uh, water going like this and walls going like this. The rest is a blur. But Hebrews 11 says, by faith. And then he uses their name. By faith, Noah. By faith, Moses. By faith, Joshua. By faith, Samson. By faith, Deborah. By faith. You know what? It means that God, by faith, means God did the work. But when we say by faith, it meant that somebody believed God enough to say, all right, let's do this. It doesn't say by faith God did this, although it was God that did it. It says by faith, and it uses humans. Humans were used by God to do great things. 
And they were always the minority. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. You got to know he's with you all the time. That Holy Spirit is with you all the time. Now, you bring a friend with you to your job. You bring a friend with you to a, a, a social gathering. You bring a friend with you to a restaurant. And there are other friends there. What you think about that friend is going to be very clear really soon. Because if you're not too proud of this friend, you won't mention them. You just walk in and you'll try to distance yourself from them, right? You'll, you'll try to just make some space between you and them. You'll try, to, you'll try to get the conversation moving in other directions. But what happens when you walk into a room with somebody you're really proud of? Somebody you love. Somebody you think is the coolest person in the world. What do you do? You want to tell everybody about them, right? You, I mean, there will be people, there'll be people trying to walk out of the door, and you'll throw something, knock them down. Come back, meet my friend. Maybe you wouldn't do that, all right. But you go to everybody in the room and say, have you met this person? Have you met this person? I mean, some of you football fans. If you had Peyton Manning walk into the room with you, just walk into the room with you, some of you are like, no, I'm not Peyton Manning. I'm not a fan. Well, come on, really, if he was with you, you may not be a fan of his team, but you'd be pretty proud to be with this guy. Walking in the room, I mean, what, man, when I first got engaged and Tia came to visit, I did not try to hide Tia from the world. I was proud of Tia. I wanted everybody to meet my future wife because she's just that great. Now, you should all feel the same way about your spouses. <laughs> If you don't, prayer at the end. Some of you are like, mm -mm. <laughs> my husband's got barbecue sauce all over his shirt. <laughs> Half the time it flies down. I don't know. We're proud of these people. <laughs> what you think of them is very apparent the moment you walk into a crowded room. The moment you walk into the mall, it's very apparent what you think about that person. Subconsciously, when you're with somebody you're not that proud of, they're dressed weird, they smell weird, whatever. Subconsciously, you'll begin to put distance between them. You watch. You watch how you walk. You watch where your eyes go. And you're not too proud of being with that person. Now, if Jesus is with us always, he walks in the room everywhere we go. Will you ignore his presence or will you acknowledge him? Introduce him. Let people know he's there. What you think of Jesus comes out when you walk into a crowded room. What you think of Jesus comes out when you go to a family reunion. What you think of him will come out when you go to work. Now you may take some licks for making the conversation be about Jesus every time. I'm not telling you you have to just manipulate a conversation. I, I, I've told you before, I'm against craftiness. I don't like trickery. But Josh, when he talks about Jesus at work, he didn't have to try to wrangle that conversation to talk about Jesus. Somebody asked him how he's doing. <laughs> right? If Jesus doesn't play into the answer to that question, 
what's wrong with your life? I mean, really? Jesus wants to be a part of every part of your life. Come on, guys. If you were dying on death's door, and everybody knew you were dying, and then the next day, you're better, and you're walking around, and somebody says, how are you doing? Isn't that going to come up? You know, the usual. Last I saw you, you were missing like half your face, and you were just, I mean, you were eating out of a tube, and I mean, you were this close. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't like to talk about that at work, though. (laughs) Don't let me step on your toes with my beliefs. Now, come on. I was dead, but now I'm alive. What's the guy? Jesus heals this guy, remember? Jesus heals a guy. He's been lame since birth. And I don't mean just telling bad jokes lame. I mean actually lame. He's been lame since birth. Jesus heals him. The whole village knows this guy. He's not a plant in the crowd. They know him. He gets healed. I'm sorry, lame. He's blind. My, my fault. He's blind, right? Jesus heals this guy. He's blind. Now he can see. Everybody knows he's blind, and now he can see. There are a lot of other lame guys, but I don't want to get our story mixed up. I'm talking about the blind guy. The blind guy gets called to court about something that has nothing to do with him. This, they're mad at Jesus for doing miracles, right? Because this shows you that people don't always get mad at you for good reasons. So many times when people don't like you, you look, at, you look inward and go, what am I doing wrong that people don't like me? Well, may, and that's, that's not a bad thing to, to be self-aware and to say, okay, maybe there's some things I need to change. But there are a lot of times where people don't like you and you're doing the right thing. They don't like you for doing the right thing. They were mad at Jesus for doing a miracle. They call this blind guy and go, Whose authority did he do that by? How did he do it? And the blind guy just says, I don't know. All I know is I was blind. But now I see. And I'm not going to hide that fact from people. I'm kind of happy about that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's good news. There should be no shame attached to good news. Shame is attached to evil, not to good. The world will try to twist it and put shame with good, but shame was never designed to be attached to good. Let's look in 2 Timothy. Thank God. How many of you are unashamed of Jesus? Unashamed. You'll have an opportunity to prove that this week. 2 Timothy 1. Thank God. 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. For I'm, and this is Paul speaking to his young uh, friend. is in many ways like a father-son relationship. He says, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I'm sure that it's in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Now, you may have heard this in the old King James, a spirit of fear. And that's that's not bad. But the word fear 
most often used when we talk about fear being afraid of something is phobos. That's that, that fear. This is a different word which means cowardice, timidity. This is not fear like, you know, there's, an, there's, a, there's a meteor going to hit earth. This is a timidity. This is, this is not being bold. This is the opposite of courage. It shrinks back. It says God has not given us that spirit of timidity. What kind of spirit has he given us? A spirit of power and love and discipline. Thank God. Of power, of love and discipline. A spirit of power sounds good, doesn't it? Spirit of love, spirit of discipline. Praise God. He, he says in the next verse, in verse 8, Therefore, because of this, so these two are tied together, right? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. What does that mean? Don't be ashamed to talk about what Jesus did because God has not given you a cowardly spirit. He gave you a powerful spirit. He gave you a spirit of love. He gave you a spirit of discipline. Thank God. That spirit of love will cause you to want to share the gospel. The spirit of power will enable you to do it right. That spirit of discipline will keep your mind from wandering into doubt and fear and shame and guilt and all these other things. But listen to this. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Throughout his life, the Apostle Paul was used to being the loner. When he began to persecute the church, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, changed his life. And you remember, when he became born again, none of the disciples wanted anything to do with him. Because they didn't know if it was a scam, if he was just pretending to get saved so that he could infiltrate the group, find their secret hideouts, things like that. Barnabas takes him under his wing, takes him to the brothers and says, I'll vouch for him. He's the real thing. Then the Apostle Paul had to be used to the one guy being one of the very few who made it his mission to reach Gentiles. He took flack for that. And then if you read the letters to the Corinthians, letters to the Philippians, you find out that there were other people, other preachers, for goodness sakes, that were talking bad about him to the very people that he used to take care of him and that loved him and some were believing it some were believing it doesn't make it right can I tell you guys don't be gullible don't just I mean you you can I, let me put it this way I'd rather be gullible in believing something good about somebody than be gullible in believing something bad about somebody I'll be quick to believe something good about you I will be very, very slow to believe something bad. In fact, if someone says something bad about you, I will require evidence. And I will talk to you about it. I'm not going to leave you out of this conversation. Nobody can come and talk about you guys and me just say, oh, that's too bad, oh, that's terrible. Oh. Because you're my brothers and you're my sisters. They were talking about Paul badly. And once he got put into chains, even more people stepped back. Some people were afraid of the unbelievers. Some people were afraid of the government. Some people were afraid of the people that could put them in prison too. And some were ashamed of Paul in a different way. Other apostles had come in and told them, that guy, he's a loser. I mean, he's so bold in his letters, but when he comes here, he's like a little mouse. 
And they were turning people against Paul. And he says, don't be ashamed of the Lord, but don't you dare be ashamed of me either. He says, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. Now what does that mean? Somebody might say, oh, the Lord threw me on a bed of suffering. No, this isn't the Lord. In fact, in this word suffering, there are like three Greek words stuffed in together into one word. And one of those words is evil. Somebody having to, it's joining together and bearing evil. Putting up with it, enduring through it, that people are doing bad things to you. Evil does not come from God, the Father of light, in whom there is no darkness in whom there is no shifting of shadows. James says, don't let anybody tell you that they're tempted by God. For God cannot tempt, neither can He be tempted. So if anybody tells you God made me do this and they're doing something evil, it's not. So if you try to tell me that God put this evil on them, you're accusing God of making somebody sin and He won't do it. So what He did was put Timothy and Paul into the very forefront of the battle where you're going to get shot at. Not because he wanted them to get shot, but because the gospel had to be preached and somebody had to stand up for the gospel. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, Timmy, we don't just have to put up with this evil that people are doing to us in our own strength. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel in the power of God. Which means we're not bearing this on our own. We are bearing this through the power of God and it won't snap us and it won't break us and we're going to finish our race and when we're done, you could chop our head off. I don't care. I get to see Jesus. Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Timmy had a choice here whether to be ashamed of Paul and deny Paul. You see, it wasn't just about denying Jesus. It was about denying the minister that God sent into his life. He had an opportunity to do that. Listen, I'm telling you, you you can't just expect that everything you hear is going to be right. Everything you hear is going to be true. Most of the time, it's not. You may have heard something bad about this church before you started coming. You may have heard something bad about this church when you started coming. And you go and you look at it and go, that's not right. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with people that go, let me just ask you some questions. I've heard some things. I sit down and go, where did you get that? What? And they're like, well, I'm just so glad I get to talk to you. It changed my mind. And I want to say, are you going to go back to the 15 people you told before you talk to me? (laughs) Because that'd be the right thing to do. But you know, some of us, some of us are a little wimpy. You got to have some guts. Some of us are a little wimpy. When we talk about not being ashamed of, of his people, I mean, Hebrews talks about it too. It says there were people put in prison and you weren't ashamed of them. It says you acted like you were one of them because we're one body. So they, they said, if you're going to talk about them, you're going to talk about me. And, and, you know, some of us need to get some guts because, you know, you have an option. You got three, usually. When somebody says something bad about somebody you know or love, whether it be your, your friend or, or your, your church or, your, or Jesus, you've got a choice. You can either be a total wimp and start saying, yeah, that's true, that's terrible. Boy, I hope none of us would do that. Or we could take the easy way, that's also not good, which is say something like this. They say their bit. Then you say, yeah, well, you know, everybody's human. 
I guess, <laughs> I guess that could be, you know, and you just kind of sidestep the issue. Have some guts. Can I say, have some guts. If you know that somebody is being spoken ill of and you know the truth, don't just stand back and let that happen. Speak up and say, that's not true. You don't have to start a fight. You don't have to start an argument. Go, that's not true. Just that's all you have to say. That's not true. If they want to argue about it, say, I don't want to argue about it. I'm just telling you, that's not true. I know them. That's not true. Read a great biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Pastor in Germany when the Nazis began to take over the church. They didn't just take over Germany. They took over the church first. One of the first things they did was make it wrong for the church to ordain Jewish ministers. I'm not talking about Jewish ministers who didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. I'm talking about Jewish, ethnically Jewish people that be believed in Jesus and wanted to become pastors. Said, you can't ordain them anymore. Do you know what the sad thing is? Most of German pastors who knew better went along with it because they were afraid. And there was one man that pops up over and over in this history. I'm not going to say his name. Well, you can look him up and read about him. But he, at one point, did stand up for the right thing. And, but then he got a little bit wimpy and kind of went along with the party line. And one day they came for him. He famously said, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this from memory, so I'm not quoting exactly right, but my paraphrase is this. He said, they came first for the socialists, and I was not one, so I didn't say anything. So I didn't speak up. They came for the Jews, and I wasn't one of those came for the unions, came for the Jews. I wasn't one, so I didn't speak up. You're going to have to correct this when you look it up. But the end of the whole thing, he names a few groups of people that he didn't speak up for because he wasn't one of them. And then he said, and they came for me, and no one was left to speak up for me. Then they came for me, and no one was left to speak up for me because I hadn't spoke up for anybody else. He, sat and he wrote those words from prison, ashamed of his cowardice. Can I tell you? God's giving you a spirit of power. He's giving you a spirit of love. Love, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes the best, hopes. And it says this, it, it rejoices in the triumph of truth. It rejoices when good things triumph. It gets real excited when the truth is. Love does not let a lie go out. Love does not let this stuff just sit in the air. Love defends. Love stands up for somebody. Love will fight for the truth. And I'm not saying go to blows, but I'm saying stand your ground. Don't be a wimp. Say, God has not given me the spirit of fear, of timidity, of, but he's given me a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of discipline. That same discipline that will keep me from breaking rank and running when the enemy comes. Did you know there were plenty of times when a superior force was on the field in a battle? A superior force was ready to fight the enemy, but the enemy scared them enough that they broke rank and began to run. And they lost the battle. Not only did they lose the battle, but several times. If those, like, you know, for instance, with the barbarians, they were, a lot of times when when the uh, Romans first came into some of these areas of Britain, came into some of these, these island nations, came up to Gaul, came up to Germania, a lot of times some of these barbarians weren't used to horses. So the first time they encountered horses, they were a little bit skittish about it. And sometimes they'd have way more people. But the Romans would bring their horses. 
and they'd bring them up and they'd ride. And as they bring this, this, this unit of horses, they'd charge the ranks. And almost always, these barbarians, like, especially like groups like the Picti, they would see these horses and they'd freak out. And even though they had way more people, they began to run. Do you know what happens when you run? It's easy to win after they're running. You just chase them down and cut them down as they run. There's a scripture in the, New, in the Old Testament that says, talks about the army of the Lord. It says they won't break rank. Sometimes you just got to realize, all the time you got to realize, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm more than a conqueror. God is greater. Because you know what? You lose the battle when you start to run. But if you stand together, you see, he's trying to break our ranks. He's trying to break your ranks with Jesus. He's trying to break your ranks with your brothers and sisters. He's trying to get us to turn on each other. He's trying to get us to turn away from each other. But if we won't break rank, if we'll stay, that's where that spirit of discipline comes in. Because you know what? That mind, it was all about the mind. It's all about the fear. If you could shake them up enough, get them nervous enough, they'd run. But if you have a disciplined mind and you know your strength and you know your power, you'll stand and wave after wave may crash into you, but you're still standing because you're still together. It's a group of Europeans. I'm sorry, I'm using a lot of history stuff. I'm hoping oh, that's okay. There's a group of Europeans back in the Middle Ages, and there were uh, conquerors from the Middle East coming to try to conquer them. And they had great armies, and their horses were their, like, I mean, just lots of horses armed to the teeth. And one of the commanders of this group just said well you know what we're we're vastly outnumbered they've got horses we've just got men on on foot what's the best thing we can do here and he was one of the first people to ever come up with the idea of a square formation and he had his men stand with spears battle axes in a square formation wave after wave of horses came tried to circle around them and find and hit them from behind but there was no behind because there weren't any gaps in their square. And because there weren't any gaps in their square, you see, if there were a gap in one side of the square, the horses would come and get your friends from behind. But they didn't let any gaps in the square. If one person fell, another person filled it. Wave after wave of horses with soldiers on crashed into this square and broke against the wall of men, greatly outnumbered, but standing together. At one point... The invading army was so discouraged that their commander came and rode to the front on his horse and said, tried to rally his people, tried to rally his, his, these guys to, to keep breaking against this impenetrable wall, this square uh, of men and men just fighting for their homeland. One of these guys in the square says, why not give it a shot? Throws an axe. Happens to hit the commander, knock him off his horse, and the battle was won. But you know, it would have been lost in an instant had they broke the line. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of his testimony. And Paul said, don't be ashamed of me. Join me. Hook up with me. Let's read the rest of this and we'll close. He said... Join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our own works. Thank God. 
but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, thank God, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If you can read that verse and still be afraid of somebody, you're reading it wrong. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. See, he knows who he is. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. So I'm not going to be ashamed of him because I know him. I'm not going to be ashamed of him because I know that he's never ashamed of me. I, why would I forsake him? He's never forsaken me. One famous a martyr in the Middle Ages who was being martyred for simply, simply believing that we're saved by faith. This man was, was burned at the stake and they tried to get him. They tried to get him to, to recant, to say, deny Jesus. He says, how can I deny him who never denied me? How can I now? He's, he's been good to me all my life. I said, Middle Ages, this guy was before that. This guy was being fed to the lion. He said, how can I deny the one? He's loved me all my life. He's stayed with me all my life. How can I deny him now? And it says this. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, even when it's not popular. He says this to him at a later point. He says, preach the word when it's in season. Preach the word when it's not cool. I've taken my share of lumps just for saying I believe this. I'd like to say I just took it from unbelievers. I've taken a fair share of lumps from believers just for saying I believe the Bible. He says this, retain that standard. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You're aware of the fact that all who were in Asia turned away from me. There's a whole province. Everybody in Asia turned away from me. If you think this is going to be easy, look at that. A whole province turned from Paul. A whole province left him alone. He says later, nobody showed up at this trial. He says, everybody in Asia turned away from me, among whom Amphigalus and Homogenes. He says in the next verse, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. When he was Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. But you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. I can only imagine what that might mean. But I do know this. When everybody was forsaking Paul, when nobody wanted to have anything to do with this guy, his own friends, churches, went the other way. There's a guy who knows the spirit that's in him, knows his God. He doesn't just not deny Paul. He seeks him out eagerly and is not ashamed of his chains. There'll be a time. There'll be a time when it won't be cool to do the right thing. That time may be now, it may be even more so later. And there are going to be people that fall, and I don't mean the bad kind of fall, I mean there are going to be people, I'm sorry, I should say it this way, there are going to be people that, who are attacked before you. 
There's going to be somebody who's at the forefront. Somebody, there's going to be leaders who t- had guts enough to stand up for the word, who had d- guts enough to stand up for righteousness, that they're at the front and they may get attacked first. Don't be deceived into thinking it won't hit you. But just say this, if they get hit first, I'm going to step up and go shoulder to shoulder with them. and Say, I stand with these men and women of God. And I'm not ashamed of the fact that they're being attacked in the media. Oh, we think the media always must be right. They've got standards. Guys, if they ever had standards, those are long gone. The age of the blog, I mean, it was already so bad. And the age of the blogger just destroyed whatever might have been left. Media is highly manipulable and manipulative. People being attacked in the media doesn't mean they're wrong. People being quoted. I remember there was a brother, and I don't know, I don't know the story. I don't know the man. But he was a preacher, very famous preacher, being attacked in the media. And I remember, I, and this was on CNN.com this last year. I read the article, and they quoted him. There was one section in quotes. The rest was just opinion, but there was one section in quotes, and they provided a link. Or they didn't provide a link, but they told you what the original video that they got it from. So instead of just taking the article at face value, I went to the link. I watched the video. And you know what? The only section they had in quotes was wrong. It wasn't what he said. He actually used different phrases. Use different words altogether. But this would inspire more comments at the bottom, and more comments means you're sharing it with more friends, and more friends means more page clicks, and more page clicks means more money. And so they just deliberately threw this guy under the bus for some more page clicks. Made him say something he didn't even say. Now listen, we don't always have the, the privilege or the, the luxury of looking something up and having a video record of what somebody says, sometimes you're just going to have to say, I know them. And I know my Jesus. And I know Josh. I know Tony. I know Bridget. I know all, I, I mean, know many of you, and I'll be able to say this. If someone says something, I know better. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to be ashamed of the testimony. And I won't be ashamed of his servants. Now, Why? Because God has not given me a spirit of cowardice, of timidity. He gave me a spirit of power. He gave me a spirit of love. So let's pull this to the practical. Before we, before we let you go into the world, before we let you go into the mission field, let's put this into the practical. What are you going to do? You're going to have to remember this verse and say it to yourself several times. When you walk into work and you have the opportunity to deny Jesus and that opportunity will come because you, can't, you don't just deny him with words, you also deny him with silence. And you walk into that situation, and what I want you to say to yourself is, God has not given me the spirit of timidity. And your brain will go, then why are you such a coward? I mean, I don't know where you got it from. Maybe it didn't, God didn't give it, but you got it. And you just say, no, that's not my spirit. I have a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of discipline. I won't run away. I won't break. I'm going to stand up and not be ashamed of Jesus because he's not ashamed of me. He wasn't ashamed of me. Guys, he had a good reason to be ashamed of you. He had lots of reasons. Yet he wa- he's not ashamed of you. Isn't that weird? I mean, isn't it funny that, that, that the perfect God 
Jesus, the most perfect human being never walked the planet, is not ashamed of me. Pretty imperfect. Now, wouldn't it be even weirder, any a stranger, I should say, if I was ashamed of him? That's bizarre, isn't it? I'm asking you to stand up, not in your own strength, but in his strength, according to the power of God. You're, you're more than you think you are. You're, you've got more in you than you know you have. All that it's going to take is for you to call on that strength. Draw on that strength within you that He put there. I'm not talking about inner strength. I'm not talking about some sort of new age you've got you know, in yourself, all these things. I'm talking about the Spirit of God that's inside of you. He lives in you. He dwells in you. He is anointing you for the task ahead. He's anointing you for life. Not just when you preach, but when you live. And don't be ashamed. Someone says something about Jesus. You don't have to start a fight. You know what? The book of Proverbs says it's stupid to argue with a fool. Just say, no. <laughs> Just say, that's not true. That's not true. Oh, I got to, I want to, don't argue about it. Say, it's not true. I don't want to argue about this, but not true. What well, did you hear what Leah said? Did you hear, oh, man. They're letting her talk to the youth at the Word Church. But I happen to know something about Leah that I heard from the cattle barns. And this is, you know what? If you have any integrity and honor, you won't even let them finish. Just be like, no. I heard the first part, and I know that's not true. That's not true. Thank God we have a spirit of power. Spirit of love. Spirit of sound mind, disciplined mind. We got any cowards in the room this morning? Now you stop beating yourself up. Stop beating yourself up and saying, I am a coward, I am a coward. You quit it. You say what God says. God has not given me that spirit. He's given me a spirit of power. I am that. I'm of that spirit. I have the spirit of power. I have a spirit of love. Stop, stop being so, so, uh, I mean, I know it sounds modest and it sounds honest and it sounds real and transparent, but quit saying what the enemy wants you to be and start saying what God wants you to be. Amen? When I say, are there any cowards in the room, some of you just, your look was like, hmm. I guess so. Stop it. Starting today. I'm going to stand in the power of God. I'm going to identify with His people. I'm going to identify with Him. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm proud of the gospel. It's good news. It saved my life. And I'm not going to hide that from you. I'm happy about it. I'm proud of Jared. I'm proud of Chance. I'm proud of Pastor Brownie. I'm not going to hide behind my own identity and my own idea of who I think everybody should think I am and my Facebook profile, I'm going to say, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of his people. Amen.